and salutations, friends, and welcome back to the arcade. We are your video game podcast here coming at you for the middle of the month of October. How's it going, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? I am Mike the Legend, who's glad to be back with you once again as we were away last week in observance of the Thanksgiving holiday weekend here in Canada. Hope you enjoyed it out there if you are listening in Canada and celebrated safely accordingly. Uh, if you aren't in Canada, I hope you enjoyed a long weekend for whatever other reason it might may be, uh, may have been, whatever the case. Uh, just hope you enjoyed it. Had a good weekend. We are now back with you again here and uh, finally getting over that gravy hangover. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that gravy hangover. It's wicked. Wicked times. Uh, yeah, and this week, I'm Dennis, the man who will actually be buying Halloween candy this year. Uh, for, for, for the kids, of course. Yes, yes, for the kids. Yes, yes it's always for the kids. <laughs> yeah, since, you know, uh, there was a big kibosh put on handing out candy last year, for good reason. True. Um, so obviously, we didn't buy any candy last year, so we didn't have any leftovers for ourselves to binge on after the fact, so I was kind of missing that a little bit last year, so this year, uh, we'll be, uh, getting some good stuff. <laughs> What's your eyeball and any thoughts? Uh, do you go the chocolates route or the chips route? Or both? Usually, a, well, usually the chocolates route, but I think the chips route is pretty good. You can never go wrong with chips. Yeah, I mean, a bag of chips, at, well, maybe do both. I mean, I have no reason not to, really. A little bag of chips, a couple get little candies, there you go, that's a good... Uh, that's a good haul. That's, that's a, a good, good haul from, from one house. house. Yeah. yeah. So Nice. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm digging it. Uh, I found with chips, uh, it uh, I tend to b- at least believe it's safer. Uh, go in the direction of like a Doritos Nacho, where it's basically like the the one flavor, as opposed to like maybe it's a salt and vinegar, maybe it's a regular, maybe it's ketchup. You know the varied flavors because it can be hit or miss. You don't know what someone's gonna like, but I don't know. I prefer dur- the Dorito direction. Yeah, I mean that's not bad. I mean I think that's sort of the one problem with chips, right? Like everyone has their flavor. The everyone has their favorite, and I mean, yeah, I mean like I like chips, so I won't be too picky about what there is. Mm-hmm. So like I wouldn't be bad. I wouldn't be upset if I got any chips when I was a kid. But there were definitely kinds I would prefer for sure. So yeah, could be a little tricky. However, yeah. I think it's maybe even a little bit safer if you just get like, you know, the good like O. Henry whatever mix of. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's also the thing, you know, like maybe it's safer to just get nut stuff with no peanuts and all True that too. stuff too. Because I don't want that to go to waste. I don't want to be that host that gives out a bunch of stuff with peanuts in it. And then 80% of it gets thrown away. It's a huge waste, right? So. What about, uh, what are your feelings as uh, now a homeowner and uh, giving out like licorice or gummies or something like that, which is peanut free? Uh, not necessarily like a flavor per thing, per se, like a, you know, a Twizzlers. It's the one flavor. It's the one variety. Unless yeah, well, you, you're we, a Satanist and give out black licorice. <laughs> yeah, well, we gave out, um, like the, some of the Maynard stuff a couple of years ago, you know, like fuzzy peaches, Swedish fish, mm. um, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I have no problem with that either. That's always a relatively safe choice, I think, as well. Certainly. So good call. I can uh, I can dig that, and if any is left over, uh, I of course am willing to help you with that. Yes, yes. thank you. <laughs> as as you know, help me save me from myself. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you got too much Halloween candy. I think it's time for an intervention. I, yes, uh, let me just step in, and I'll take that bullet for you. And uh, <laughs> less of an intervention, and more of a uh, 
I don't even know what the alternate to that would be. Someone who wants to just do the thing you're doing instead of you doing it, that's not really an intervention. I will sac- my, sacrifice myself for you. I offer myself as tribute. <laughs> I will take that diabetic coma for you. Yes, good. Hey, that's friendship. I'm willing to throw myself on the sugar-coated grenade. Yes. See you in hell, candy boys. <laughs> Uh, but it should be good. It should be, uh, nice to actually have kids going around door to door, trick or treating. Uh, it was sorely missed last year. Yeah. I it mean, just felt, felt weird. It yeah. being a Halloween without kids trick or treating, that just made it not feel like Halloween. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, we're, we're fully grown adults. Like we're, we're closer to 40 than we are <laughs> like 30 or anything like that. But shut up. <laughs> Stop but, saying truth. But still, you know, it's, I still get excited around Halloween. You know, it's, it's fun to see the kids get excited about that. You know, like it's, it's a sad thing to not see kids get that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, I'm living vicariously through them. And if I don't see that, I'm like, Oh, it's too bad. <laughs> well, I guess I'll just drown my sorrows in all this Halloween candy I can't give out. So <laughs> which I bought for some reason. <laughs> I made a terrible choice. I'll just have to eat my shame. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, one more Snickers and I'll, I'll finally feel happy. <laughs> well, you keep chasing that dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I do, and I will. <laughs> oh, man, that's dark. Very dark. I prefer dark, dark chocolate. Dark chocolate, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, 70%? Nice. <laughs> Anything above that? Whew. Settle down, champ. Way too bitter. Yep. I've had an 85% dark chocolate one time, or uh, like I think I bought a bar. Like, just a small bar of, like, 85% dark chocolate. Oh. It's like cooking cocoa, basically. Basically. That was a challenge to get through. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not the biggest chocolate fan. Like, my my chocolate appreciation is, like, very light milk chocolate. Like, you know, 50-50 almost. <laughs> like, at most. It's just, like, the kind that you would put in, you know, just as a coating for some chocolate bar that's not really focused in chocolate. <laughs> Maybe a more nougat focused thing or something. Mm-hmm. So that's my level, but yeah. Something where it's just a coating. Yeah. Around something. L- yeah. Like, you know, Henry or something else. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like, you know, the people that love chocolate, I mean, I can appreciate it. I mean, I love black coffee and you know, it's a similar kind of road to go down. So mm-hmm. I-, I get it. But, uh, yeah, the, when you're getting up above 70%, it gets really bitter. Yeah, that's uh that's basically when you're into like the hardcore, you know, die hard uh, space. Yeah, I tried 90 once and it Ooh. was like, "Oof, this is too much for me." It, it was like, "Ugh." What like was it cut with anything or was it no. like a, a flavored 90% but like, "Ooh, chili pepper in here." No. No, just straight 90% dark dark chocolate. Yeah. God almighty. Yep. No. <laughs> Yeah, it was too much. Though that type of chocolate is good in a chili. If it's just a a cooking hack for anyone out there who's curious, get some cocoa powder and next time you're making some chili, put it in there. Adds a nice dimension to your chili. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting idea. Good to know. All right. Well, that concludes this episode and uh cooking in- with Dennis. Uh <laughs> tune in next week. <laughs> you're We got more cooking hacks from the Arcade's Kitchen here. Uh Yeah, the Arcade's Test Kitchen. <laughs> So, uh, yes. Uh, we're now a full lifestyle brand here at the arcade. <laughs> well, we, uh, the older you get, the more you have to almost, it seems, go that way. We'll play with that idea. We'll, 
we'll workshop it for a bit and we'll see where it goes. But, uh. Yeah, we'll, we'll broach it, uh, down the road. But in the meantime, uh, of the here and the now, we'll get, uh, through our ludicrous leadoffs, the two news items that have, uh, come across our news wires that are just a little bit extra special, kind of special. The ones that make you go, huh? Wow. Why? And certainly, uh, we have, uh, our, in our first ludicrous leadoff here, uh, news item that, uh, Basically evokes all three reactions and actually ties back to a ludicrous layoff we had over the summer. I think it was in July when we brought you news that someone on an internet forum for one particular like mobile tank uh, playing game, uh, actually leaked military documents to try and win an argument on that particular forum. Yeah. So the game was called War Thunder, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And, uh, yeah, some player who I think, as it turns out, was a member of the United States Army? It was Army. Right, right, right. It, it was the RAF. Yeah. Someone was a member of the RAF, and uh, they were trying to solve some dispute that clearly got very heated about some, some specific aspect of a tank design, and they were saying something wasn't realistic, whereas other people were just kind of being like, yeah, it is, who cares, blah, blah, blah. And then he pulled out his trump card of being like, I'm with the RAF, and here's the actual blueprints for this thing. And it's like, no, you can't do that. What are you doing? <laughs> you can't actually give real, like, tank blueprints away, you idiot. There's a reason why those are classified behind, like, top-level security. Like, you don't want your enemies to know all of your weaknesses. What's wrong with you? It's true. But it happened anyway. Because it, it wasn't a historical tank. It was like some current modern thing that was in use. <laughs> and the argument was centering around just some aspect of the tank that uh, I believe wasn't accurately represented or the, the poster did not feel was accurately represented in the game. And uh, that spawned a whole argument on the forum for this game, War Thunder, which then led to the one user in question who posted military documents, which were taken down from the forum but they still were up for a couple of minutes. Yeah, they were up for long enough that who knows could have got their hands on them. And as long as one copy's out there, it's a threat. Yes, and it's on the internet forever. Like yeah. One it was, one time something is posted once, that that's it. Game over. It's never really being eliminated ever again. Mm -hmm. There will be some pocket where it can still exist. So... Uh, the, the forum moderators and uh, I believe the developers behind the game, they, they took it down. I believe they banned the user and just reminded people, don't do this. You know, this is not a good thing to do. We'll take it down. It's really not going to work the way you think it works, blah, blah, blah. So that was fine. And, and case closed, uh, everything was settled until just about a week ago when the same thing happened. The absolute same thing happened where this latest case in case involved a uh, player getting into another heated argument, a different user though than the first time, getting into uh, a different argument on the forums for the game War Thunder about the in-game depiction of the uh, French Leclerc main battle tank. So to settle this particular disagreement, the user, uh, user posted a part of what was uh, a part of the tank's manual which then prompted the forum's moderators to uh, kind of wonder aloud what the hell is wrong with people, with the moderators posting, quote, Guys, it's not funny to leak classified documents of modern equipment. You, uh, you're putting the lives of many on, uh, on stake who work daily with these vehicles. Keep in mind that those documents will be deleted immediately alongside sanctions. Thanks for reading. So yeah. it happened again. <laughs> 
Yeah, and as a UK defense journal, uh, or as UK defense journal, the journal on UK defense, I assume, reported, the offending poster claimed to be a crew member of a Leclerc Serie 2 tank, uh, the latest model of a tank that has been in service with the French since 1992. Uh, and yeah, this uh, French crew member will be thrilled to learn that just like the British League from earlier in the year, uh, his suggestions will be ignored anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's... This game has like thousands of vehicles in it, so um they can't all be accurately uh, rendered down to every single nut and bolt and panel. Yeah, like I think it's more along the lines of like, does it kind of look right? It doesn't really matter how it handles at that point. It's more a looks and like general, general stats thing. I would imagine like you're not getting into like specific tread depth and you know wherever the armor exists exactly in whatever exactly munitions capacity it has and whatnot are going to be exactly accurate, right? Like, mm-hmm. like this is still like a, a, a work of civilian art, right? So you can't expect it to have that level of um, realism. Detail. Like it's not like, unless it's a historical thing where everything's declassified, everything's out in the open, you can go to like whatever military museum and see, oh, that's exactly what this thing looks like. No, Mm -hmm. this is a modern thing that's currently in use by real militaries right now. It's not declassified. So, so yeah. So if you are out there on the forums of this, uh, this tank game, War Thunder, um, don't be posting any, uh, classified military documents to try and help your case. It will not work the way you are thinking it might work. In fact, it just won't work. No, it won't. So don't. Again, and, don't. And also, the intelligence agency connected to your military agency will find out who you are and what it, like, <laughs> that type of leak will be very easy to track down. This War Thunder, uh, group obviously has their own, like, record of who IP addresses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it should be, Pretty easy to say, oh, here's the IP address, here's the computer fingerprint, here you go, intelligence agency for the French military. You probably have this well in hand already. Here you go. Now you can, <laughs> you know, do with what you will. You administer whatever criminal charges or whatever that you want to, you know, do to this person, and they'd be well within their rights to. Yes, uh, this person uh, now stuck on latrine duty for the next uh, six months. If not in jail. Yeah, if not in jail. Uh, whatever the case might be, uh, again, this has happened. Again. Yeah. So are we going to be talking about this another six months down, or another three months down the line? I don't know, but it's getting insane. And what what's the next country that this is going to happen to is the question. I'm going to say Germany. <laughs> Well, well, I, yeah, fair enough. We'll see. I hope it's the United States. <laughs> Cause that'll be, you know, just kind of funny. They're supposed to be the big military superpower, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe they have good enough, uh, sense in their people not to let them share things. I was also going to say maybe something about China as well, but maybe this game is not even available there. Might not be available in China. Also, they would have much stricter control over their internet uh, in China as well. Yeah, so exactly. So there's that. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, if this happens again for a third time, we will, of course, discuss it here on this program, much like we'll discuss uh, this next ludicrous lead-off. Uh, you, if you're of a certain vintage like Dennis and I, you will remember a console from the olden days called the Intellivision. 
Yeah, it was, though, if you're our vintage specifically, you'll think of this console as being a little bit, you know, too old. Like, because, like, when it came out, I think we would have been way too young to be playing video games yet. Um, well, I, I recall having one in my house, even when I was still, like, knee-high to a grasshopper. Yeah, like, I remember friends having these. Like, I, I never had one myself, but I, I remember playing this at friends' houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it felt, you know, like, the first system I had was an NES, but this felt like old, well, NES felt a certain level. This felt older than that, but yes. still playable. It felt very much from the era of the original Atari 2600. Exactly. Yeah, like, like definitely like, like a, like a sibling console or something or like a competitive console to it. I even think it had a, just aesthetically, I think it had some like faux wood grain plastic paneling on it too. Yeah, they all did. Like the, the 2600 did, the Intel, like I think the Intellivision did. Um, but yeah. It was the one that had the number, the numeric keypad. Numeric keypad and like really squishy bubble buttons. Yeah. So each game, when you would put in the cartridge, had plastic uh, slip cards that would go into the controller. Yeah. And uh, the bubble buttons would be your inputs and you would press them accordingly to do whatever action. Yeah. So in the baseball game, you, you would dictate what, you know, what uh, base you're going to throw to, that kind of thing. Like, we're talking early history of video games. Yeah, and the the fun thing about those cards, which I kind of wish that we still had, but, you know, it, whatever, lost technology, things lost to the annals of time that don't really make sense anymore. But a lot of work went into the cards as well. Like, there was good art on the cards, and they tried to lay things out in a way that made sense stylistically for the game. Like, if you were playing a baseball game, I remember playing a baseball game for the Intellivision that had um, basically a whole baseball diamond and they had the whatever things that on each base listed out like as a diamond on the card itself. Like you would have home, like if it was a number pad, like a home would have been like uh, zero, like five, uh, whatever it was, home would be five, like first base would be, or home, sorry, Sorry, the pitcher's mound would be five, home would be like nine or zero or whatever, and then things like that. So like you would see the like the lines drawn and then wherever the numbers would be with the different buttons and things like that. But you don't get that anymore. No, you don't. Uh you just kinda get the game and uh, can map the controls however you want through the digital uh you know display on on your screen through yeah. the settings in the game itself. So, But Intellivision has not been a relevant name in video gaming for quite a long time. No. Uh, that being said, that hasn't stopped some people from trying to bring it back. And we've talked about this a few times, though not with any great regularity, because uh, updates on it have not come with any regularity. But there is a move afoot to bring the company of Intellivision back and uh, bring it back with the release and through the release of a new home console called the Intellivision Amico. One of the people behind this uh, effort is Tommy Tellerico, longtime video game sound and music composer and yeah. our close personal friend. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> but yeah, we, we interviewed him once about... Years ago. Years ago, yeah. eight years ago or something like that. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Steven Tyler's cousin. <laughs> Which he, he volu- he's the one that brings that up. We were trying to, you know, be generous and tiptoe around some of these questions because, well, anyway, he has no problem bringing up things like, yeah. oh, I'm Steven Tyler's cousin. Oh, yeah, this game, I did this, uh, blah, blah, blah. And this, anyways, yeah, color a dinosaur. Huh? It's like, we weren't even going to bring that up, but okay, fine. 
So he is part of the, the, you know, renewed effort to bring Intellivision back as a company, uh, again, through the release of a new, uh, console called the Amico, which they're trying to position as a family friendly, accessible and affordable Amico. Fine. Uh, it was originally set to release on October 10th of 2020, but has since been delayed to, uh, a currently listed autumn 2021 release window. And that is the most recent update uh, that we have on the release of the system, which is all well and good. We'll believe it when we see it. But it seems like uh, they're trying to get people excited for it because they've released games in physical form for the Intellivision Amico even before there's a, f- a firm, solid release date for the Amico console itself. Yeah. So what's been released is a package of four physical games that runs you $80 U.S., uh, so you can buy eight games right now, or all eight games that have initially been released in a collector's boxed edition for $150. Uh, these games, however, when they're digital versions, uh, apparently are slated to cost $10 or less on, through buying them through the digital storefront on the console. So you're paying a hell of a premium to get the physical version. Now you might be wondering, well, do you get anything extra with this, this premium that's being paid, that extra $70 you're paying to have the physical ver- version in your hand? And the answer is yes, because each box for these Amico games. Contains- well, yes and no, nothing. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll let you finish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, each box contains uh, a lenticular card, a collectible coin and access to a digital download of the game. That's fine. But, uh, also apparently the, the coin and something else, uh, to do with these games, uh, are going to act as NFTs. Yeah. So each, so first of all, you basically just get a box with a bunch of crap in it and none of it is actually the game except for the download code, mm-hmm. which is just a download code to download the game in the store, which is what you would have got for $10. Initially, if you were to just buy the game through the store. But what they were saying is, uh, what Intellivision says here is that each of these copies, it's not clear if it's just the, di- just the physical copies or if it's the physical copy as well as the, uh, uh, digital copy, but each of the copies of these games acts as an NFT, whatever that means, and is quote unquote part of a blockchain that makes ownership quote unquote fully transferable, which is something to consider. So I guess, Probably the digital copies of the games as well are copies of this NFT. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess. I guess. So, so you're paying eighty dollars for an NFT something related to this? No, I, I think even the ten dollar copies are the NFTs. Oh, even as well. The, okay, but you're paying eighty dollars for a box, a coin, and a lenticular card. Card. So is is that stuff worth seventy dollars? Over just the download code? That's a good question. I know for me it's not. Uh, that, I mean, we've seen crates and other subscription boxes uh, spring up uh, to great ubiquity over the last several years. And if you're paying $80, uh, I mean, it seems like you'd be getting like a hell of a good or premium box for any other subscription service. Yeah. Uh, you I mean, may, maybe, maybe the $80 is the distinction. Maybe only the $80 copies of the game are the NFT version. And, you know, if you just spend $10, you can't transfer ownership to anyone. Maybe that's what it is. But why would you go to all that trouble just for 
just this physical weird release. Like, why wouldn't you do that for the $10 version as well? I, I have a suspicion that all you're getting is just this extra, like, coin and art and box. Which it's a bit of a shame that, like, there's no actual physical games anymore. It's just literally, oh, and here's your download code for this thing where you have to go through the same process, which would have only cost you $10 anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, here's a piece of paper with the alphanumeric character sequence written on it. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, great. That seems not worth it. Also, no idea when the system itself is going to come out. Yeah, because th- that's the final, you know, rub to this, right? <laughs> These games are all released, and you're going to be able to buy the games, but you can't play them on anything. That's right. So what are you paying that premium for? You're getting a digital download code, but you cannot use it. And you don't know when you'll be able to use it. I mean, I'm going to be pessimistic here and say, I don't even know if you'll be able to use it. Fair point. Like, is it looking like this thing is actually going to be released? It's been delayed a couple of times already. And yeah. uh, given current supply chain constraints uh, and whatnot, don't know. Do not know when it might be coming out. So that is something to consider if uh, you are intrigued by the idea of the Intellivision Amico and its games. Uh, the games that are currently available to buy in the collector's boxed edition include Evil Knievel, Dino Blaster, Missile Command, Rigid Force, Redux Enhanced, Moon Patrol, Finnegan Fox, Biplanes, and Brain Duel. And I want to say... Uh, some of these titles are standing out to me as games that existed on the original version of the Intellivision. Games like Moon Patrol, Missile Command, uh, are the ones that are grabbing my attention immediately. Perhaps even something like Dino Blaster. There may have been versions of those games in the long ago time on the first Intellivision. When you actually got a physical cartridge and those slip cards that went into the controller handle. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's what they're referring to as the lenticular cards. Ooh, that'd be neat. Uh, who knows? But, uh, yeah. So the Intellivision Amigo. Go buy your games now and wait. And maybe never play them. Maybe never play them. We'll, yeah. we'll see even if the actual console itself is released, even though it's literally just going to be another one of these, like, low-spec micro-console style things. Like, we saw, like... As like a trend 10 years ago with the Ouya and whatnot. Oh yeah, God, oh God, when you couldn't swing a cat in the game industry without hitting someone's low spec, uh, uh, game box. Just little Android, like, box. Yeah, basically everyone doing their version of a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, exactly. But trying to sell it and spin it as, uh, as a game console. Yeah. But, and look how many of them are still around. Yeah, but, but now we have the blockchain. Ooh. Oh my God, you're right, we do. <laughs> This changes everything. Does it? No. <laughs> oh, so, so that uh, is something we'll keep you apprised of uh, if there's any news to apprise you of in the weeks and months ahead. But uh, uh, that is the ludicrously duffs and on to the more meaty, substantial news of the week. And uh, later in the week, Nintendo released another one of their straight to YouTube, straight to video uh, paid presentations, infomercials, uh, but a brief one, only about 10, 15 minutes long, focused entirely on Animal Crossing New Horizons, where they, uh, th- they laid out a bunch of news and information about it. Uh, they announced that the, or, and detailed the update that is coming to the game in a couple weeks time that is going to make the game version 2.0 and it's adding a whole lot of stuff to it. 
uh, elements of, of farming and uh, growing your own vegetables. It's adding a cooking element to the game, uh, various yoga elements, uh, some new classic characters, other new classic elements like gyroids are coming back to Animal Crossing in the new update. So it's a really meaty uh, and very substantive update that will be released uh, for Animal Crossing New Horizons in, in the uh, weeks ahead. However, Nintendo stipulated that it is going to be the last free update they release for Animal Crossing because they also announced uh, what I believe is going to be the first and only paid DLC for Animal Crossing New Horizons. And it's it's got a beefy price tag at $25. So this piece of DLC uh, is going to become available on November 5th. Pre-orders start uh, about a week before that on October 29th, and it's called Happy Home Paradise. And so this one adds... Well, labor and more work to the uh, world of Animal Crossing. Yeah, so... Uh, you can take up a job <laughs> as a designer. Yeah, so like in this DLC, players will join Lottie in the Paradise Planning Team as they visit an archipelago and uh, they bring Islanders' vacation homes to life. Uh, yeah, and according to uh, Isaiah Colbert, uh, or Colbert, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that. I'm just going to say Colbert because of Stephen Colbert. Uh, on Kotaku.com, he says here, uh, alongside being able to design the interior of your residence bungalow. Yeah. And the, you're, this isn't for you. This is for other people. Other people. Yeah. So, so you go to work designing for other people. Yeah. So it, in addition to being design, like being a designer of all these houses, you'll also be able to suggest ideas for the exterior of clients' houses by modifying the design of homes, design pathways and yards, and change the seasons and weather on the island. So there's also an aspect of you being an evil scientist, I guess. <laughs> Having too much power? Yeah. So after you design these vacation homes, players can then unlock new design techniques, which, you know, include adjusting interior sizes of houses, lighting, atmospheric music, uh, creating patrician walls and pillars and all that other fun stuff in houses. Uh, <laughs> you'll also be able to remodel abandoned buildings that were left on the island, like uh, schools, hospitals, uh, <laughs> restaurants. Probably, so, probably abandoned shopping malls where, you know, if you see an abandoned shopping mall ever, I've seen enough of the Evil Dead franchise <laughs> movies just to know, maybe stay away from them, you know, like, it's maybe not a great idea. Yeah, uh, I have uh, been in one of those very unsettling type shopping malls where there's, there's maybe only like five stores open and everything else is shuttered, uh, closed down, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and it, it feels like it's right out of the 80s. Very out of the 80s, and it's a really unsettling experience because as you're just walking down the center aisleway, you're kind of darting your head back and forth, keeping it on a swivel because you don't know where the zombies are going to come from, but you're sure the zombies are going to come. Yeah, exactly. It's an unsettling experience. Yeah. So uh, just avoid them or just redesign them in uh, this paid DLC in Animal Crossing, although it strikes me as a little unsettling that players will be able to redesign abandoned schools and hospitals. Yeah. This has an element of, like, dystopian future to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not qualified to remodel a hospital. I mean, I don't know what the medical needs of patients and doctors would be. Like, I could say, I don't like that room being there, but then they might be like, no, we need that for emergencies. Like, like what? That That's the, where people get triaged into in emergencies or... 
that whole floor that you wanted to take out and turn into a nice like wellness atrium. center yeah. atrium. No, we needed that for beds. <laughs> like, what are you doing? That's assuming you even re- redesign a hospital in this DLC straight into any other another hospital. I'm wondering if you just turn it into a condo. <laughs> Yeah, you know, fancy uh, glass window lined condo. Yeah, you went way more dystopian than I was thinking. Yeah, with the uh, impossible rents. Yeah, and uh, just you know, jacked up uh, uh, homeowners or HOA f- or uh, tenancy fees. And yeah. uh, yep, uh, just the hospitals moved on. There's no need for a hospital anymore. It's just <laughs> condos and apartments. No one gets sick here. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't like it here. Tom Nook, get me out. <laughs> you can't leave until the work is done. Yeah. You have a debt to the Happy Home Society. You can't leave until that debt is paid. Here, drink this. <laughs> uh, is this Kool-Aid? Yes, drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, I've watched enough, uh, I've listened to enough true crime podcasts to know, um, this is bad. Very bad. Uh, so if you're wondering why exactly you're doing the work in this page DLC for Animal Crossing and what the, the end result is all going to be. Well, it's because you've joined the Branch Davidians and you have to, or, or was it Jonestown? I don't remember. And Jonestown had the Kool-Aid where right, they all right. went to like so, Yana. Right. Yeah. Right. The Branch Davidians were just, uh. Well, that was Waco. Yeah. That was Waco. Right. Yeah. That was, that was David Koresh. Koresh. Yeah. yeah. Who thought he was Jesus? Yeah. He had followers. Yeah. He, yeah. And uh th- that just well his plans went up in flames. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. Is it too soon to be making David Koresh jokes? <laughs> 30 years after? 30 years after the fact? <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, we've made Jonestown's jokes on this program before. <laughs> wow, what a Jonestown this game is. <laughs> and I don't mean because there's no one here, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah. No. Yes, I'm the last one standing. <laughs> I don't like Kool-Aid. <laughs> okay, well. Mm, grape. Uh, if it was cherry, sure, but you lost me a grape. How many Kool-Aid points do I get for this? <laughs> Is that still a thing? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's probably scan a QR code yeah, on the back of the package. Like a, with an app or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Download the Kool-Aid app and uh, watch the Kool-Aid man smash through the phone of your screen. Yeah. Except he actually comes to real life and he, you know, becomes a candy man thing. You're summoning him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so if you're wondering the real reason why you're doing all this work in the paid DLC and what the end result of it is going to be for you as the player, well, once you complete designing these dream, home, dream homes for the, you know, I'm going to assume... Other more affluent characters in the game? Yes, or it's all a cult. Who knows? Uh, or it's a cult, whatever. Uh, then you can take the techniques you've learned back home with you to fancy up your own island, your own place, and just all the other houses around you. Uh, after a home is designed, players will be compensated with pokey currency, which they can use to buy rare furniture to take back home with them. So that, that apparently is the end result. You do the work to get paid and take your knowledge and skills back to your island to fancy it up, gussy it up, and, uh, uh, you know, renovate the abandoned hospitals on your island. Yeah. So, uh, great. So, so work. You get to do work. Remember, uh, remember when Animal Crossing was stress free? Or well, like to, a low stress game? To be fair, um, Animal Crossing always was about work and debt. True. I mean, you, you're always sort of indentured to Tom Nook. Like, he's always like, oh, let me just build that house for you. Oh, now you owe me 50,000 bells. Oh, how many bells can I get in a day? Oh, like a thousand. Oh, okay. Great. Huh. That's not 
super fun. Hmm. Well, uh, better go digging for some seashells and, uh, you know, sell some fruit. Yeah. <laughs> sell some fruit. Sell some of those seashells. Maybe get some fossils and really try to mm-hmm. get notoriety in the, uh, in the museum, I guess, or whatever. Huh. Help people give them things that they want, I guess, and then maybe they'll pay me money. I hope. Catch some fish. Yes, catch some fish because, you know, Tom Nook, you're on the hook to Tom Nook. It's not the official slogan, but that's just Should a, be. That's, that's what I've slogan. been, yeah, that's what I've been saying for a few years. Um, but yeah. So again, this, uh, this, uh, slave labor forced, uh, labor DLC that's coming to Animal Crossing New Horizons. It's called Happy Home Paradise. And apparently the idea just kind of is spun out of, uh, I believe something called Happy Home Designer that was, for uh, a DS version or or DSI version, no, 3DS version of Animal Crossing. So it's just kind of that feature, but spun out into now a $25 piece of DLC that again comes out on November 5th and pre-orders for it uh, start on October 29th. But that wasn't the only piece of information to come from that uh, Nintendo Direct that uh, was held earlier this week. In its brief uh, length, it also announced details for the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack. That, of course, being the upgraded uh, premium tier. Premium tier. Probably the the most discerning Switch Online aficionados. (laughs) Yes. Could you hear my lower jaw just protruding forward? That's what I was really going for. Yes, the the whole like Robert Loser thing. Right? I'm Robert Loser. No. Oh. Yes, whose name just simply sounds of opulence. <laughs> yes, of course, and that British accent kind of. Even though Robert Loja himself is not. No, but he's got that weird. He... Americans that want to sound a bit British because they're kind of affluent sound. But he also has a deep gravitas in his voice as well. Yes, which, yeah. Which, be, comes, which comes with affluence. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, it sure does. Yeah, so, so, yeah. Uh, if, you know, so he checks it, out. Yeah, try it out for yourself. Get rich <laughs> and uh, get, get some deep bass in your voice. <laughs> exactly. So uh, in addition to that, again, we learned about uh, the pricing and release details for the Switch Online expansion pack. That, again, being the uh, the package, the premium tier that allows you to play uh, N64 games, Sega Genesis games, and as per the announcement, you'll also get this uh, Animal Crossing DLC included with your expansion pack membership. However, this expansion pack is a pretty penny. Yeah. It's, uh, it is not cheap and you're gonna be, uh, shelling out a lot more scratch than what you were paying just for the regular basic Switch Online pricing. Yeah, so, just as a refresher, currently the Nintendo Switch Online membership costs about four US dollars, five Canadian dollars a month. Uh, usually you just kinda get it on a yearly basis. So it costs you about fifty, sixty bucks. So, Actually, no, there's the, uh, uh, premium. You, you save if, uh, you get the full 12 months. It's like 25 bucks oh, a month. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. Or that, for that, the 12 months. Yeah, that's what it was. So, if you get the full 12 months, it's 25 bucks. That's what I remember. I, I did that when it came out. Yeah. Because it seemed like it was a good idea. Um, but for one month, uh, this premium membership, uh, costs, uh, well, yeah, it's basically a $30 per year increase from the standard membership. 
Yeah, so if you want to pay for the full year membership, which I think is the only uh, tier being offered initially with the Switch Online expansion pack, yeah, uh, it is going to cost you $80 US. Uh, so that is, uh, I believe that's, uh, yeah, for the Switch Online expansion pack or $100 Canadian for a 12-month annual membership. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's a lot of scratch. Oh, no, sorry. It's um the... Uh, it'll be forty nine ninety nine USD per month for a single switch for you know this whole whatever expansion pack. But if you have other switch owners in your oh, home, oh sorry, yes, yeah. I was reading the family membership. My yeah, bad. so the, the family member, yeah, so this yeah, it, it's confusing. Like uh, Nintendo has this troublesome way of announcing stuff that's not really super clear. This has kind of always been their way. Yeah. It's always just kind of like you have to read it more than what. Yeah. Anyway, so the. It's really a reading comprehension test. Yeah. So this, this whole Nintendo Switch Online plus expansion pack membership, uh, is $49.99 USD per year, which is $30 more expensive than the standard membership. Uh, but if you have other Switch owners in your family, like if you, know, you have youngins or whatever, or you just want to maybe share in membership and maybe you know, if you have seven other switches that you you want to just kind of share memberships with, that's going to run you eighty dollars USD per year. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, it's it's not cheap. So, in Canadian dollars, uh, the Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack membership for a year is sixty three ninety nine Canadian or sixty four dollars. Yeah, 64 or 100 for the family pack. So. Or 100 for the family pack. That's what I was initially reading. Uh, I was mistaken, but yes, $64 Canadian, which, uh, I don't, I wonder if that's deliberate or not because, uh, again, with the expansion pack, you're getting N64 games. Yeah, you're also getting Sega Genesis games. Um, and let's talk about the games. I don't know if we've mentioned the, the launch games before. We did when it was announced, but we'll refresh it and, uh, let you decide with your dollar dues if this is what you want to go into because on launch day the lineup of N64 games that you'll be able to play in this expansion pack is Super Mario 64, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Mario Kart 64, Lilat Wars, which I don't know if ever that ever got released in North America. Yeah, I don't remember playing that one at all. Sin and Punishment, which I don't know if that came to North America. I think it did, but it never looked interesting. Fair enough. Uh, Dr. Mario 64, Mario Tennis 64, Operation Winback, and Yoshi's Story. And those are the N64 games. So I'm just going to say about half of them look interesting, and the other half don't. Fair. That's I can see my, that. my opinion on it. Um, I mean, it's got the two biggest ones it needs to have right off the hop in Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time. Well, two of the biggest ones. Two. I think, I think the biggest one that they should have, but can't, I think at this point for licensing reasons would be Goldeneye. Oh, God. Like that's the one that everyone of our generation probably associates with the N64, the strongest, but we understand it's a licensed title. It's James Bond, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the, uh, visage of Pierce Brosnan is, is used in it as well as basically every other actor from GoldenEye. Uh, I can imagine trying to sort that out is a licensing and legal nightmare. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the launch lineup with some upcoming titles promised being Banjo-Kazooie, Pokemon Snap, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards, Mario Golf, Paper Mario, and F-Zero X. So not a bad selection of games that's going to be available, 
um, for the N64. And then Sega Genesis, of course, uh, with the full launch lineup being, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Streets of Rage 2, Echo the Dolphin, Castlevania Bloodlines, Contra Hardcore, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Golden Axe, Gunstar Heroes, Musha, where every letter is a period, capital letter, Mm -hmm. acronym, uh, Fantasy Star 4, Ristar, Shining Force, Shinobi 3, Return of the Ninja Master, and Strider. Um, Which are all games you can get through other ways. Yeah. They, they've been put, even on those uh, retro micro consoles, a number of times already. Yeah. So that's not necessarily unique. No. And not necessarily a strong selling point. And, and here's my problem with how Nintendo Switch Online has sort of treated the virtual console releases. Basically, you don't get new games almost ever. Like, it's there's no schedule. They're random when they come out and when they announce and release new games, you scratch your head at like, why is this a game that I would care about? Like one of the latest games that came out for the super Nintendo online was prehistoric Ian. What? Right. What the hell is that? Right. So they have a knack for picking some of the most obscure releases to include. Yeah. Obscure. Maybe not the most enjoyable games, not the games that you have any nostalgic attachment for. I mean, no, no, no offense to anyone who is a big fan of prehistoric Ian, but like, you're in the minority, you know that, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> it's not up there with like, like, where's Uniracers? Where's, you know, any of the, I mean, there are Donkey Kong Country games and stuff on there, but where are the Final Fantasy games? Why aren't you working for these third party licensing deals? Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird. Yeah, it always, it, yeah, it seems like in every release when they're, you know, they put out two or three new or put two or three new games up to the, uh, you know, Switch Online service for NES or Super Nintendo, there's like one head scratching title. One or two or three. <laughs> yeah, maybe all three are just kind of, what the hell's this? Yeah. And like, it's I- like, I waited four months for this. So my question with all of this is, does this mean that they're going to be increasing the frequency in which they release games? Because then it might be worth it, but I'm doubtful that that's going to be the case. Uh, I mean, if history is anything to go by, then the updates, uh, yes, I mean, we just went through the list of upcoming titles that will come to the N64 section of the Switch Online expansion pack. Sure, there's some, some good, strong titles in there. But also, another question. These are games that have been released previously. Why are you waiting to release them? Why don't you just release them? In just one flood of games all at once. Yeah, it's not like it's going to, like, you know, make them any more special if, you know, you have to wait for them. That's a good question. Like, I don't understand. Uh, It's a good, fair question. Of course, we don't have the answer. Only Nintendo has the answer, and sometimes it doesn't seem like there's a good answer. (laughs) Sometimes it seems like Nintendo doesn't actually have the answer. True, too. Uh, Because, uh, you know, as we said, we went through the list of the upcoming titles for the N64 section of the expansion pack, but there's no telling when those games will come to the expansion pack. Yeah. Like, Banjo-Kazooie is announced as a game that will come. No idea when. It's like, why don't you just release it now? Could or be like as a launch game between now and the end of the year could be sometime 2022, 2023. Like they might very well treat the N64 and Sega Genesis sections with the level of uh, frequency that they've treated the NES and Super Nintendo sections of Switch Online. 
And yeah. if they do, that's a ripoff. Yeah, I agree. It's like, it's, it's straight up a ripoff. And I, I, as much as I want to support Nintendo on something like this, because, you know, the idea of like a Netflix of classic games or whatever is cool, but like, when your selection is 30 games per system, you get through those pretty fast. Like, they're not, like, it's not like these old games have like a ton of like depth to them, really. And I mean, like, unless you're already really into the game, you like, I don't know, it, classic gaming is tricky in that way because it's like, if you're already a fan, you've probably already played a ton of it. So like, you probably already have it as, in an emulated form or maybe even in the original form. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just want to hook up your Super Nintendo and play through your, you know, your catalog that way. And it's like, fine, but like, yeah, it's, it's tricky. It, it is. And, uh, yeah. So, but if you break down that, uh, that price point of, uh, uh, for an annual, uh, membership of Switch Online plus expansion pack, $50 US. Like, it's more than double the cost. More than double the cost, or $64 Canadian per year. Uh, but bear in mind, $25, uh, it, uh, of that is, uh, or could be written off as the DLC for Animal Crossing New Horizons, called Happy Home Paradise. So then, that's an extra about, eh, you know, five, ten bucks each for, uh, access to the N64 games and access to the Sega Genesis games, plus whatever other titles uh, they release for those down the line. So, yeah. It, cool, but it's still going to burn through the, the play factor of those uh, N64 and Sega Genesis games pretty quick, and probably the Animal Crossing portion pretty quickly, too. Yeah. Unless you're really, truly into Animal Crossing, which not everyone is. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the people who are, are for sure. And, you know, all the power to them, but, like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't, uh, I might be curious for the Animal Crossing DLC at some point, at which, you know, I'd prefer just to pay the twenty four ninety nine one time just to do that. Mm-hmm. But then again, is there going to be a, a, an option for this Nintendo Switch expansion pack without Animal Crossing at some point? Because surely... Not everyone who's interested in buying this also has Animal Crossing, right? That's true. I wonder how they will approach this uh, in the months and years ahead with uh, other games. Uh, will they swap out uh, the Animal Crossing DLC for a DLC pack of uh, a Mario game or Breath of the Wild or something like that? Or some future title? Yeah, I mean, or just with no DLC. Yeah. Because, like, that's what I mean. Like, what this is also saying is... Yeah, like, this is basically intended just for people who like Animal Crossing as well, which is a very strange marketing statement to make, right? Somewhat, but there's a huge install base already of uh, Animal Crossing uh, players on the Switch, so I I can see them trying to tie into the second best-selling game for the system with this, uh, given that Animal Crossing, I think, has sold 33 million copies for the Switch, something around there, so... yeah. Uh, so, so it makes sense to tie into the most popular game, uh, sales wise, but we'll see how this all plays out. And this is to say nothing, all these prices for the online membership and the Animal Crossing DLC, blah, 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 this is to say nothing of the $50 US you could pay to get, uh, a wireless retro Sega Genesis, Genesis controller or, uh, an additional $50 to get a wireless N64 retro controller. Yeah. So... Yeah, Nintendo knows they have nostalgia uh, with people, and they will actively try and capitalize on it in 
uh, gratuitous ways. Yeah. Very gratuitous ways. So we'll see how this all plays out. No release date yet announced for this Switch Online expansion pack. It is still simply talked up as, quote, late October. I also wouldn't be a bit surprised if it shares a release date with Happy Home Paradise, which would be November 5th. Fair enough. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the thing. Or even uh, uh, release date with the pre-orders of Happy Home Paradise going live on October 29th. You know, you can pre-order yeah. the DLC or just get the full uh, Switch Online Plus expansion pack. So, yeah. And then you get the DLC as well. So, uh, but that will come in the weeks ahead. But uh, speaking of Nintendo and coming uh, ahead, we spoke on our last episode about the Donkey Kong area that had been announced as coming to Super Nintendo World, kind of expanding the footprint of uh, the Nintendo section of Universal Studios Japan, where right now it's just all Mario and Mushroom Kingdom themed. But uh, last time we spoke about the fact that uh, there's a Donkey Kong area coming along with, I believe it's a minecart themed roller coaster type ride. Uh, and it looks like there's going to be, you know, jungles and ruins and that kind of thing. Very Donkey Kong uh, heavy motif. And we kind of, you know, wondered aloud on this program uh, back then, what would be, you know, the next franchise uh, for Nintendo to bring into Super Nintendo World, uh, if they've got the Mario franchise, they've got the Donkey Kong franchise, what's next? And I think one that you had mentioned was the one that has now been officially announced. Yeah. Uh, it is Pokemon. Yeah, it, it made sense to me that they would have a Pokemon one. I mean, you think of Pokemon like, if you have a theme park available, you basically could just have a real life version of Pokemon Snap as a ride. You could. Yeah. That's true. Like, I mean, obviously with an, like, animatronic Pokemon, whatever else, but yeah, coming out in different, like riding down a little lazy river or something like that in a a thing, or even just like going through like an on-rails car through a jungle type thing, mm-hmm. seeing Pokemon poking their heads out. They could even gamify it a bit too. They could like just basically give you an app on your phone and say, hey, take pictures and like, you know, the best pictures for today will give you... X amount off at whatever restaurant or something. Who Ooh, knows, right? You know, X percent off if you want it printed at the gift station. Yeah, exactly. Or a gift shop. So, yep, I can see that. But uh, it was uh, at the start of October that uh, Nintendo announced, uh, I guess, a deal had been struck between uh, Universal Studios and the Pokemon Company to bring the Pokemon franchise to Universal Studios Japan starting in 2022. Uh, a quote from the press, re- press release here says, uh, quote, Universal Studios Japan and the Pokemon Company will enter a long-term partnership to jointly explore groundbreaking entertainment that will immerse guests into the world of Pokemon with innovative technology and creativity beginning in 2022, end quote. Uh, that's basically the, the meaty part of the press release, and even that does not say anything. Uh, so what can be expected? We don't know. Uh, but if they're going to start rolling stuff out in 2022, that's not a lot of time. Uh, I mean, even if they still uh, backweight things and uh, open up uh, some area in late 2022, that's only about a year away. So that's uh, not a lot of time to start building and laying out uh, some massive area. Something tells me they will iterate on this area as uh, time goes forward and maybe just... I don't know, maybe get out some uh, some stations where you pull out your phone and try to find, uh, you know, the Pokemon there with some augmented reality or whatever whatever the case might be. But, uh, I mean, Pokemon franchise, hell, you could do a whole theme park uh, centered around Pokemon. Yeah, I mean... There's like 800 monsters. There's 800 Pokemon. 
eight hundred plus. There's probably there's probably closer to a thousand at this point. It's a lot. It's a lot, and you know all the different locations that have been featured in the whole show. I mean, the show, all the different games. There's what. 20 games or something even at this point? There's lots. And they keep remaking them for whatever new system of the day. Yeah. As so, we see with the fall with, uh, I think, uh, Diamond and Pearl getting remade and uh, launched for the Switch in November. Yeah. And then there's uh, the Pokemon Legends Arceus coming in uh, January as well. The quote-unquote open-world Pokemon. Yeah. So, yeah, really no shortage of places to go in the game. So I'd be surprised if, you know... They had a hard time coming up with, you know, an immersive experience. Uh, that's true. Uh, there's going to be a whole lot of uh, fiberglass replica Pokemon, I'd say, around this theme park. <laughs> yes. Like, technology, yes, it will be integrated in, I'm sure, a lot of, you know, unique ways, and that's all well and good. But also, I mean, a theme park is impressive if it's got, like, the statues and stuff. Yeah. Like, it can't be purely digital. You need some sort of physical presence. Otherwise, what the hell is the point? So, uh, we'll see. I'm going to guess probably some roller coaster type ride. Maybe it's, uh, some rides where it feels like you're, you know, flying through the air, but, uh, you know, being gripped in the, the feet of a Charizard or something. Just yeah. some, some wild ideas I'm throwing just out some, there. Just some pants crappingly scary ideas. Just exactly. To, just to really keep the kids on their toes. Really make you feel alive when, <laughs> Nothing makes you feel more alive than the knowledge you could die at any moment <laughs> from this ride. Yes. But, uh, so that is that to look, something to look forward to in 2022. Uh, but now we'll move on to another story. Kind of, again, ties into something we spoke of a few weeks ago on this show when there was the surprise announcement that the game franchise Driver was being turned into a live action television series, uh, for uh, a new startup entertainment, uh, uh, service provider called binge.com. And now news uh, coming down the pipeline just a few days ago that uh, binge.com has secured the rights to develop another uh, game property uh, or game franchise into a live television adaptation. Uh, this time uh, they're adapting System Shock. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I don't really know anything about System Shock. I never played it, but I do know that it was sort of one of those more classic horror type franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting that like this binge.com, they're not going for the most, the, the highest tier of video games. They're kind of digging their, putting your hand into a whole bin and reaching somewhere in the middle. <laughs> For these, you know, franchises to be adapting, which is kind of an interesting approach, mm-hmm. you know. Not going for the cheap, low-hanging fruit that you've never heard of. Yeah, but, like, you know, going for things that might have, like, you know, a strong cult following, but that's also dangerous, too, right? Like, if there's a cult following for something, you need to do a good job of adapting it, or else you're just going to piss a whole bunch of people who love this thing off. Oh, absolutely. The fan base will be even more critical about the product that ends up being produced rather than uh, something that might be more, you know, widely known, widely accepted, and uh, more accessible to a general audience. Uh, these are going to be the more diehards, the, the devotees, the uh, the hardcore nerds, really, uh, in their fandom of whatever franchise, in this case, currently announced Driver and also System Shock. Uh, and my thought, too, is... <laughs> What else are they going to pull out from this middle part of the game franchise bin to turn into a live action adaptation uh, that has a, a cult 
uh, or a very devoted following. I don't necessarily say cult because I don't know Driver has a cult following. Um, System Shock is, is, I think, a well-respected game, has a certainly very devote following or uh, devoted following. Don't know if it's a cult uh, necessarily in that way, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know what else, uh, what other franchises would fall under this, this heading of middle tier, where you've probably heard of the name and seen and or maybe even played one or two games, but, uh, uh, you're kind of surprised they went with that one. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm thinking Turok. Yeah, Turok could be one. I mean, that's actually like almost ripe for the picking and seems like it'd be perfect. A dinosaur hunter, you know, like, could also be, you know, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it would work really well, I think. Ooh, another thought that uh, just occurred to me. Maybe they need some animated program programming to diversify their offerings. Uh, maybe some animated uh, programs based on the Mutant League sports games. Oh, yes. <laughs> or, uh, what was the other one? The, the Robot Baseball. Uh, Base Wars. Base Wars. Base Wars could be good. Base Wars was entertaining. Yep. As a game experience. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting to see. Uh, if you go to binge.com right now, there really is not much on their website. It's uh, basically still a placeholder website, uh, speaking in, in puffery and, uh, very flighty language about what they intend to do and plan to deliver and blah, 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 blah. But, uh, yeah, they, they, <laughs> on their splash page, their, uh, their main, Landing page for binge.com here. It says, get ready for the future of gaming entertainment 2022. Then a little play button that says, be immersed, which I assume plays a video, which I'm not going to do right now. And, you know, they have like kind of a generic looking techie type logo for binge saying, you know, you're going to get premium content where you can watch, chat and earn. I'm assuming there's probably going to be some crypto element in all of this. Of course. Blockchain. Um, yeah. So blockchain, crypto, NFTs, probably. Then they say binge will be available on all devices, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, yeah, not not telling you anything other than it's a video serve, like some sort of video subscription type service. And that's about it for now. Yeah. So uh, we'll see and bring you more as we learn more. But uh, this binge.com apparently uh, debuted or at least was announced into existence at uh, E3 this past year. But uh, neither you nor I really recall coming across that information. So they've really only had the two news releases. Uh, well, they've had other releases, but the two big news ones uh, being the announcement of the Driver franchise and the System Shock franchise being turned into live action entertainment. So we'll see what else they grab, uh, what else they can afford. Uh, who knows? That remains to be seen. Yeah. So this is basically just the TLDR. System Shock is getting a TV show on this service binge.com, which may not, as we said last week, might not be around for too long. Yeah. I'm not uh, entirely sure how long it's going to last. It seems very startup-y, but also in this day and age of a fractured entertainment landscape, uh, you, I think you kind of need more. And also it seems like it's really hard to start up an entertainment, you know, service in this day and age. Yeah. To me, this seems more like a production company wanting to like, this seems more like something that you'd want to take to an existing platform and try to make content for rather than making your whole, making a whole platform. Mm -hmm. Like seems a little bit strange to me. Like they, there's probably some VC money tied up with all of this, and yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see 
where it ultimately shakes down, but yeah. I don't have high hopes. It strikes me that the end goal for this binge.com is ultimately to sell out to to Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh Disney or whatever else, but establish a a you know devoted, devout, uh, passionate fan base uh, even if it's small or whatnot, but st- you know small and steady yeah. and stable, then sell out to someone bigger. Yeah. And, you know your your properties and whatnot. Uh, your entertainment just gets absorbed into someone else because there's really only like three big fish in the streaming landscape. Yeah, seriously. I mean, there's there's a few second tier ones, but even then, if you want to kind of compete in this, like maybe you'll have some success on your own. Like there are some like lower tier ones. Like I mean, I've also we were laughing you know a f- few months ago because we saw that there were even there was a a specific just app slash service that just provided you old episodes of this old house. Yes. Which was, yes. which seemed very strange to me just to have ju- just a single show focused streaming service. But to their credit though, this old house has like 50 seasons. So it's not like they don't have the content already. I mean, it's not like they're, they, they're lacking the content to put out there. I mean, this old house is already being produced they might as well try to make a little bit of extra money through some app just to get people who want to watch it, whatever they want. It's not like this app is like the content is hinging on this app being successful. Mm -hmm. Like binge.com is like if binge.com isn't successful, these shows will cease to exist. So yeah. And so we'll see how it all plays itself out. It's uh it's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't know if I have high hopes. I, I, I'm waiting to be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, me, me too. I mean, I'm always like, you know, I don't want there to just be, you know, a monopoly situation ever really happening in any sort of like avenue, least of all the media that we consume. Like, that's awful. Like, no one wants your media to be controlled by just some one corporation. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want all of my, content coming just from Disney or something like that's bananas. But yeah, it's, it's hard to not be cynical, uh, you know, in this day and age where like clearly like companies have a really hard time going up against the giants that exist, you know, like the Netflixes and the Disney's and the Amazons, Amazons and yeah. whatever, like it's, it's hard. So it's true. Like I, I'm rooting for them, but I'm not super hopeful. It's true. So uh, we'll see how it all plays itself out. Speaking of playing itself out, uh, well, you know, or at some point it'll play itself out because, uh, appliances don't last forever. It's true. Uh, if, if you remember my, my discussion from, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about the saga of the, uh, dishwasher. Indeed. That was a two year, that's a two year old dishwasher that was having problems. And, uh, yeah, at some point it'll just actually die when it's no longer on warranty and we'll have to, have it replaced and have a new one and blah, blah, blah. Um, that's just a standard run of the mill dishwasher, not a, uh, you know, custom branded co-branded dishwasher that has, you know, some Xbox logo or something on it. And why would I mention an Xbox logo in specific? Well, that's a very, uh, very, uh, specific, uh, uh, logo you are referencing, but I think it's because we are now going to have, uh, one last story this week that talks about the Xbox and the Xbox logo, which is going to be found on the Xbox Series X branded mini fridges, because those are a thing that's coming to fruition. And now we have news that has come down the pipeline 
of when you'll be able to get your hands on the Xbox Series X mini-fridge. For it is that uh, starting in December of this year, that uh, you people out there, the good people who voted for this thing to come into existence uh, in, you know, in the face of uh, God, Queen, and Country... uh, have brought you fruition, uh, will be able to get your hands on them again in December of this year. Uh, they will retail for $99 and 99 cents us. Uh, so certainly over probably 120, $130 here in Canada, uh, $90 or 89.99 pounds sterling. Don't know the Euro, uh, uh, translation, but, uh, a lot. It's not going to be cheap for this Xbox series X mini fridge pre-orders, for these specific mini fridges go, uh, or start, uh, being taken on October 19th. Uh, many retailers will be selling them globally. However, in the United States, uh, these Xbox Series X mini fridges will be sold exclusively at Target with Microsoft saying that uh, they're doing, doing that simply to ensure as many fans, uh, being able to purchase them as possible. Uh, and Microsoft also is promising to expand regional availability of these Xbox Series X mini fridges in 2022. And these have all come about simply because of a Twitter co- contest that uh, happened in 20, I believe it was 2019 or 2020. No, it was 2020. Uh, that it was some sort of basically Twitter brand war, uh, to see who could, uh, which brand could get the most likes or retweets or something like that and then be crowned like the, the top brand Twitter on Twitter. And so the poll for people was, uh, Microsoft offering, hey, you know, if you basically do whatever to get us this crown, this title, this honor, we will make Xbox Series X mini fridges. And the cachet value being that the Xbox Series X looks like, well, it's, it's a mini fridge. It looks like a mini fridge. Yeah. Yeah. So these are going to be actual mini fridges where you can store not a lot. Like, I don't even know if you can store leftovers. I think at most you can store maybe four to six cans of whatever beverage. Well, if it's the same size as the Xbox Series X, I mean, Unless it just looks like an Xbox Series X, but is scaled up to standard mini fridge size. Which I'm not sure it is. Uh, given the price point, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's about, possible, in, it's but... about in line with a mini fridge. I mean, I recently bought my, one of my brother-in-law's, you know, a, a fridge for about the same price and it was standard mini fridge size. So I mean, unless you're really paying that much extra just for it looking like an Xbox, I guess. Which is not impossible. No. It's not impossible. Game, game, well, people who are into gaming tchotchkes, I can see just loving this thing anyways. So, yeah. So, <laughs> that's a thing that's going to come into the world, uh, later on this year. Again, the nebulous release date of December 2021. We don't know which day in the month of December, uh, but it's going to cost you $100 US. Uh, figure that out for your local currency. So, yeah. That that's the that's the last of the regular news items before we move on into our last section of the show, which, as always, is the blast from the past, the portion of the show where we take some time to fet things that are celebrating milestone anniversaries. These are pieces of entertainment such as movies, CDs, TV shows, video games, just things that uh, we've come across or experienced that we feel uh, certainly bears and warrants talking about. Uh, and we have two items this week. A game that is, uh, well, a game, a game 
Plus, there's more to it than just being a game, but it is 10 years old and a movie that is 40 years old. So uh, where of the two would you like to start uh, this week? Well, I think we can start with the game because I think it's worth kind of tying it together to the concept of the Xbox fridge. I mean, I think there is a certain level of collectability to this Xbox fridge, but it will only be to a certain person. And I don't know that, you know, buying an Xbox fridge guarantees you, you know, you know, riches beyond your wildest dreams in a few years. Like it's just going to be kind of like a standard collectible item. Mm -hmm. And the majority of them are probably just going to end up just in a landfill. Yeah. It's a mass produced product. Yeah. It's a mass produced product. There's, you know, depending on who they're help, who they're partnering with to have this fridge made. It might not even be a very good fridge. It might be a garbage fridge that only lasts a couple of years. And, and you know, it may not even perform that well while it is still alive. Yeah. Like so, not all mini fridges work well to keep things cold. No. And I mean, like I've, I've had, I've had one myself and like, you know, it worked for a while and it worked a decent amount of time, but you know, like, like all fridges, the compressor, whatever goes and then it's useless. So, and when that happens, like, you know, it's just more plastic in the landfill. It's true. And I'm assuming it's going to be a lot more plastic if they have to make it look more like an Xbox, like all the extra flashing and, you know, whatever special case, like it's not even a bare bones fridge, which is mostly just like a bit of metal wrapping with some plastic flashing just to kind of cap it off. It's going to have all those extra like angles and whatever mm-hmm. else, like to make sure it's got like the sharp uh, 90 degree corners. Yeah. And, you know, plastic is a problem in the landfills. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is one run of a mini fridge going to be that big of a problem of plastic? No. Arguably, (laughs) a far bigger problem with plastic is, you know, mass-produced, like, little figurines and stuff that are just entirely made of plastic that basically serve almost no purpose otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. Those are the bigger problem. And it was on October 16th of 2011 that uh, one of the purveyors of those ki- that kind of problem uh, was released. It's a video game that was released on the PS3, Xbox 360, Wii, PC, and 3DS. Uh, and turning 10 years old that we'll talk about now is Skylanders Spyro's Adventure. The first in the, Sp- the Skylanders franchise. You know, Skylanders. That uh, toys-to-game, game-to-toy type uh, uh, franchise where you could go buy the plastic toys, touch them on the power base, and it would have some sort of consequence in your game experience. Yeah. So basically what the Amiibo is now, but before the Amiibo. Yes. And... Geared to a younger audience. Yeah, geared towards a younger audience. And unlike the Amiibo, you can make the same argument for the Amiibo figurines... But at the very least, the Amiibo figurines have a little bit of collectability and, you know, have some sort of like a little bit of intrinsic value as like, you know, at least a desk ornament or something. Mm -hmm. Because like they're not just random toys just from a very specific game that someone probably hasn't played because it was geared for children. It might be Mario. It might be Link. Like – the whole line of Amiibos are going to be, you know, various Nintendo things. And I mean, Nintendo games have been around for 40 years. Sure. So, yeah, for for them, you you have that familiarity with the characters. But with the Skylanders thing, they're all just internal to this whole Skylanders game. And 
I don't think Skylanders as a franchise is still even around. Like I haven't heard anything about it. No, in a long I think time. it fell by the wayside uh, several years ago. Uh, but Skylanders is one of those examples uh, in the same vein as the the music genre games too, where it burned hot and fast and just burned out after a while. Yeah, and a similar problem: garbage plastic instruments that are totally useless. Yep. Just causing a huge problem. Absolutely. But when it was uh, starting and when it was just uh, kind of in its heyday, uh, probably around, you know, 2022 or 2012, 2013, excuse me, uh, 2014, uh, with, because Skylanders for a few straight years was an annual game release to then launch a, a new series of toys that would have whatever new impact in that year's game. But it was... It was a big deal, and it made a lot of money back then and motivated other companies to get in on the action. Uh, With the success of the Skylanders franchise, we saw Disney get into it with their Disney Infinity series, uh, which we thought uh, at the time, you know, when it came out, that it would be a huge hit and probably have more staying power than Skylanders just because of the franchise uh, or the franchise is that Disney had at its disposal. You know, it had all of Star Wars. It has all of the Pixar characters. Has all of the classic uh, Disney animated, uh, you know, films and whatnot. Uh, it had all the Marvel characters because Disney had acquired Marvel at that point already. So, yeah. So Disney Infinity did not last as long as the Skylanders franchise. I actually just quickly checked. Wikipedia lists the Skylanders franchise still as technically active. Oh. So, I mean, the latest game came out in 2016, from what I can understand. I guess maybe because it hasn't been officially declared over or dead, so... Yeah. But yeah, uh, there was also the Lego Dimensions yep. games, where it was Lego pieces that you would build in sets, and uh, they would have some sort of impact. Expansions, characters, whatever else, to add to the base Lego Dimensions game. But at the very least, I guess, with Lego... The Lego system still works across the board. If it you does. have if you have Lego Dimensions pieces and you stop playing Lego Dimensions, you can still probably connect them to other Lego you have if you have other Lego, which you probably do. Oh yeah, I mean they're still based on the bump and groove uh uh system. Yeah, the Lego system, I believe is what they call it, even it, though it's not technically even copywritten anymore, but No. Cuz it expired because it's super old. <laughs> I watched that documentary. That's right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, the Skylander and, and they were, you know, a big hit with basically toys, uh, or with boys, I should say they were, they were popular toys with boys in the like six to 12 year age range. And like, if you had a child or a nephew or, or knew someone, or perhaps were friends with uh, someone who was a parent to a, a boy in that age range, it was mostly boys, some girls yeah. too, but I think. They were one of those toys that skewed more towards a, a boy demographic. Yeah, and they were super into it. Super hardcore into it. Like, they were, a, you know, a boy equivalent of Barbie, where you don't just have one, you have the whole case full. Yeah. Which, I'd like to say for us back then, was Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels. And Micro Machines. Turtles. Turtles as well, yes. You stuff them all in the party van. Yeah. And that was the carrying case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Barbie had her dream home. The turtles had the party van. Which would go attack the Barbie dream home. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lay waste to it. Yeah. Just, you know, warfare. Exactly. It was war. It was urban warfare. The turtles were prepared. Barbie wasn't. That's her fault. Yeah. Uh, you know, they went to take down the 1%. Yeah. And I mean, G.I. Joe remained neutral throughout the entire uh, conflict, but, you know, 
He he had his own war crimes yeah, to atone it, for. G.I. Joe was overseas. <laughs> he was over in Nam <laughs> in the 70s. Had to go fight Cobra somewhere. <laughs> There's Cobra up to no good somewhere. I, I got to go there. You turtles and Barbies fight it out. But uh, but yeah, even if you were a kid, you know, 10 years ago uh, of, you know, a certain age into Skylanders, you just fight them and smash them all together. Uh, but you had to be careful because uh, they still had like the the micro near field communication chips in them. You don't want to damage that because then it won't do anything in your game. It won't import your character. Won't do whatever else. So, uh, it, it became a, a popular thing where every year for about three four years, and then as you said, tail you know last game being in 2016, but did tail off. Uh, that there'd be a new version of Skyla- Skylanders. I think there was Skylanders Giants, Skylanders like snow theme and Skylanders this and Skylanders that and uh new lines of toys every time and they weren't cheap. They were like 15 bucks a pop for one character, like one figurine, if not more. Uh, and then some had vehicle packs and some had this and some of that. Uh, so popular, I recall, was the Skylanders franchise that Nintendo even did a... uh like co-branding deal where there was uh, th- with a Skylanders game on the Wii U, you could buy a special pack and get uh, a Donkey Kong figure, like a special Do- Skylanders Donkey Kong figure or a special uh, Bowser figure. Yeah. Now you couldn't buy them both in the same pack at the same time because that's a pile of crap, but Nintendo sometimes uh, engages in that. But uh, yeah, Skylanders, was just one of those uh those fads that burned hot and fast and burned out after a couple of years leaving a whole trail of uh, plastic waste behind it. Yep. A whole lot of plastic waste behind it, but yeah. yeah. First game 10 years old. Yeah. I mean, maybe not to the extent of like, you know, bottled water or just bottled drinks yes. in general, which is I think arguably the biggest most worst problem that we have maybe as a in, like an environmental problem that is as a society right now perhaps um but yes off of that more but it's only 10 years old yeah but it's something older yeah if we want to go for something older that's not super problematic um has a dedicated cult following is great especially around this time of year mm-hmm. when you're kind of like ramping up into halloween mode maybe you might want to watch some spooky movies you might want to you know, just maybe have like a couple of like horror movie nights. If there's ever a staple to watch, this movie should be on that list of like maybe top 10 horror movies to watch. This movie came out in 1981, as Mike the Legend mentioned. It's 40 years old now. Woo, it's up there. Yeah. This is the movie that launched, um, Sam Raimi as a legitimate filmmaker. Uh, the Bruce Campbell as a, a semi-legitimate actor, uh, Ted Raimi as, well, <laughs> Ted Raimi, Ted Raimi. <laughs> and yeah, and he's been Ted, Ted Raimi ever since. Yeah. He's been Ted Raimi ever since. And whenever you see him in something, if you're me or Mike, the legend, you point at him and go, Hey, that's Ted Raimi. <laughs> like Clint Howard. Yeah, exactly. Like Clint Howard or Wallace Shawn. Yes. Or, you know, he's <laughs> Elias Coteus, but he's always Casey Jones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the movie we're talking about is The Evil Dead. Yes, the, the first, first movie in the, uh, Evil Dead franchise. Uh, this was, 
I, I think it was the first formal effort really by, uh, by Sam Raimi, Ted Raimi and Bruce Campbell, who all kind of grew up together in Michigan and spent a lot of their time, uh, growing up in Michigan making movies together. Yeah. On Super 8, just, you know, making goofy movies, making scary movies, doing whatever, just kind of, you know, the things kid do, kids do when they grow up together, like, you know, creating art and whatever else, just, even if they weren't particularly super artistically inclined, like they, all the friends would still kind of have a role in a thing, even if they weren't a great actor or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely the case for the evil dead. If you want to know a really get a really good in-depth telling of the story, you should read the book by Bruce Campbell called if chins could kill. Um, It's a great, it's a great biography, autobiography. And he talks about all of the, all of like the fundraising efforts and everything that they all had to go through when they realized, oh, we're onto something here. Mm-hmm. We have we have an actual original idea for a movie. We know how like how we can film it, even if it wasn't up to the industry standards and stuff. But we know how to bring it up to the industry standards. We just need X amount of money, and that X amount of money was you know eventually three hundred seventy five thousand dollars. But I think the original run, like it's a really interesting story. I mean, you you. You have that book. I, I do have that book. And, uh, uh, you know, as I recall too, you know, with Sam Raimi, Ted Raimi, well, the Raimi brothers. The Raimi brothers and Bruce Campbell. And Bruce which Campbell. I think was basically the third Raimi brother. Yeah, basically. A Raimi brother. They were part of, uh, there was others growing up at the yeah. same time who were all in that filmmaking club of theirs. And each one kind of had something different. Like literally one person had like their dad's camera. One person had like their sister's microphone or something like that. So they each, could bring one aspect to movie making to their group. Yeah. And they literally all had to work in joint effort to make stuff because they, none of them had their own stuff because shit was way too expensive back then. Yeah, exactly. You're not like now where you bust out an iPhone and you have a full 4k movie making experience right there. Yeah, exactly. You know, any other bells and whistles, whistles and peripherals are just to fancy up the effort. You can shoot something in 4k on your iPhone. Certainly couldn't back then. Uh, but it's a really interesting experience. I think the the car featured in the Evil Dead Two was actually someone's car. Yeah, it was Sam Raimi's Sam dad's Raimi's, car. Yes, uh, like the the classic, as it later affectionately became known, the nineteen seventy eight Oldsmobile. I think it was something like that. Um, yeah, like a, a a very unsexy car to be featured in in a movie, but uh, you know was featured in this because it was what was available and. The Evil Dead is a, I mean, it's not a zombie movie. It's a horror movie. Uh, especially the first one is, uh, is an attempt at making an actual, honest to goodness, uh, spooky, scary horror movie to, to chill and, and frighten you. Uh, and it actually still, I think, holds up for that effort to, to chill and, and frighten you and send shivers down your spine and, spine and whatnot. Uh, yeah, like the the original Evil Dead is legitimately a tense thriller of a movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there there's some kind of goofy practical effects that, you know, they have like some of the the but they actually didn't really use like goofy like uh the, well, 1981 there was no CG, no. Yeah, especially for a low budget movie, but they they didn't use like prosthetics or even make anyone really look like a zombie. It really was more about being afraid of and attacked by the atmosphere and the woods around. Yes. So they got away with a lot of like not having to show 
actually what the evil was, but a lot of the tension came from the evil is all around. The uncertainty. The uncertainty, the, like, just, oh, everything, like, it's making people go crazy and kill themselves. Ah, everything is awful. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was the first one, but I think the Evil Dead counts as, you know, one of the seminal cabin in the wood type horror movies. Yeah, it's, I, I believe it created the whole idea for the, what became kind of a bit of a trope in horror movies mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, even there was the movie Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Which obviously is a culmination of the whole, for the, thir- at that point, I think 30 years of, you know, from what Evil Dead started to then. But yeah, it's, as a franchise, it's also very interesting because it went from this very tense, legitimate movie. The second Evil Dead movie was basically a retelling of the first one with a better budget and better special effects. And the third movie goes off the rails and it, well, I love, of, of the whole franchise, my favorite is Army of Darkness. It is one of the most entertaining movies made. Yeah, it's, it's not, even a horror movie at that point, it's just like a bananas fish out of water comedy that's even it's it's tied together, but in such a ludicrous way <laughs> where I don't want to spoil anything. It's worth watching these movies one, two and three. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, even Ash versus Evil Dead. I, I never really watched too much of it, but like it was entertaining enough. But mm-hmm. um, it, it carried on some of the same spirit. Yeah. But the original trilogy of movies Maybe not so much the remake. I mean, the remake was okay, but it focused more on like unre- like the the more modern horror movie thing of just focusing on unrelenting gore and like yeah. stuff like that. I'm not a big fan of that. Like when I'm watching movies like this, I want you know more of like just the general tension and um the uncertainty, not just seeing people getting their fingers chopped off by like, you know, like a, a turkey carving electric knife. Yeah. You don't like, want it literally displayed on the screen. The suggestion of it and, and how you form that image in your own mind can be enough to frighten and terrify you. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it's well worth watching if you haven't uh, seen it already, or if you have seen it, uh, it is worth your time to go back and revisit it, especially as uh, we are uh, just uh, coming up on Halloween. It is not that far away, so you might be starting your your scary movie watching in earnest in the lead-up to it. Uh, the Evil Dead, it is 40 years old, still decently holds up. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's 1981. It looks very much of the era, but if you accept that, and also that it was done with a really limited budget, uh, I think uh, it, it's uh, pretty good for its age, all things considered. Uh, I mean, it's not trying to be anything more than, than what it is. Like it's, it's friends making a, a scary movie in the woods with a very limited budget. That's, that's all it really can be. Yeah. And it ended up just sort of turning out to be a certifiable classic. Yeah. A, a cult hit. Yeah. A cult hit. Yeah. Just really. Yeah. I mean, I can't really say enough good things about the evil dead. It's, it's a classic. Absolutely classic. And before that, we spoke of Skylanders Spyro's adventure, the first game in the Skylanders franchise. It is 10 years old. Hard to believe it's 10 years old already and, uh, helped contribute to the world's plastic problem for, uh, many of those years yes, in between. Absolutely. So, uh, thanks for that Skylanders. Uh, the inclusion of Spyro, uh, seemed really unnecessary and ultimately, uh, Spyro as a character was really de-emphasized and it just became all the other wild characters who had the, uh, had the action figures to them that you could sell for like 15, 20, sometimes 30 bucks, depending how deluxe they were. But Skylanders is a whole lot of plastic crap and it's <laughs> 10 years old. 
Yes. Uh, but that about wraps us up for this edition of the arcade. Before we skedaddle on out of here, an important programming note, uh, we will not be with you next week as both Dennis and I will be away from our recording location on, uh, well, on separate trips. Uh, on separate trips, but both ironically enough in Southern Ontario. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we'll meet up at one point, uh, on our separate trips. Our paths will converge. Yes, but not long enough to record a program. No. So we'll be away and the next time we join you will be, uh, later in the month, uh, towards the end, right before Halloween for our annual Halloween music special. So we are looking forward to bringing you that and hope you are looking forward to enjoying it. But in the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or any other feedback to offer, you can write it in the long form, info at the arcade show dot com, or you can hit us up with a quick message through the show social medias. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook, uh, uh, at the arcade show on both of those platforms. And also, if you haven't done so already, you will have time between now and next episode to subscribe to our program on both iTunes and the Google podcast store. We're on both those platforms and direct links to our pages on those platforms can be found on our homepage of thearcadeshow.com. So until next time, good night, everybody. Good night.